الحمد لله الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا ما يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له ونشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله صلوات ربه وسلامه عليه وعلى اله واصحابه ومن دعا بدعوته الى يوم الدين اما بعد بلاد برادرز اند سيستر ان الاسلام السلام عليكم ورحمه الله تعالى وبركاته الله سبحانه وتعالى سبيكس ان ذا هو القران الله سيز ان سوره المائده فيرس 54 الله سبحانه وتعالى بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم يا ايها الذين امنوا من يرتد منكم عن دينه فسوف ياتي الله بقوم يحبهم ويحبونه اذله على المؤمنين اعزه على الكافرين يجاهدون في سبيل الله ولا يخافون لومه لائم ذلك فضل الله يؤتيه من يشاء والله واسع عليم صدق الله العظيم today inshallah we will reflect i have mentioned before i think about 3 weeks ago i didn't mention the uh, the war in yemen uh fleetingly mentioned it in my khutbah uh, and today inshallah i want to just uh, look a little bit closer at uh, that skirmish or that that uh, unjust attack on yemen and look at the relationship and position of yemen within uh, muslim history what is what is the position of yemen in muslim history uh, particularly what was the relationship of Yemen with the Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam and a few of the ahadith about the Nabi what the Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam had said about the city or the state of Yemen the most uh, important hadith most well known hadith uh, concerning Yemen was a dua which was narrated by Ibn Umar radiyallahu ta'ala that the Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam one day made dua the nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam said allahumma barik fi shamina allahumma barik fi yamanina nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam said oh allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless sham which of course as you know is not syria but it's in the north in the northeast including sham included syria included palestine included jordan and that whole part of what is called today the levant And the Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam had made particular dua for that part of the world and Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam had asked for Allah to bless that part of the world. And also the Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam made dua for Yemen. And the Nabi particularly asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also to bless Yemen. So Yemen has a special position in the history and uh, view of the Nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam. We know of course the famous hadith of Mu'adh ibn Jabal radiyallahu ta'ala when the nabi alayhi salam appointed him was the first man to be appointed the first da'i the first person to whom the prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam had sent out of out of makkah out of medina rather uh, to yemen to call the people of yemen to islam and uh, that was noteworthy and secondly also what is noteworthy about yemen is that the first judge that the nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam appointed beside himself in medina was Sayyidina Ali karamallahu wajhahi son-in-law 
whom he had sent to Yemen, also to Sana'a, particularly the capital city, to be the judge amongst the Muslims who had accepted Islam at the hand of Mu'ath ibn Jabal, radiallahu ta'ala anhum. So a very close relationship between Yemen and, and Medina at the time. And as I've said to you last week or before then, was that the Arabic language originated in Yemen. The early Arabic language was first spoken in Yemen, and from Yemen it was taken to the north, to Arabia, and from there it spread to the rest of what we know today as the Arab world. And the Nabi Sallallahu one day also, he said that, and this is narrated by uh, Abu Mas'ud, radiallahu ta'ala an, he said the Nabi Sallallahu one day pointed towards Yemen and said, over there is Iman. Nabi Sallallahu said, over there is Iman. Subhanallah. And I'm sure those of you who have met Yemenis in Makkah will attest to the commitment of the Yemeni Muslims to the Islam. Despite their poverty, and despite the fact that they, were, they are half enslaved uh, by in, 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 the, in, in the rest of the Arabian Peninsula, apart from the place in which they stay. And we read in Bukhari that the Sababun Nuzul, the cause of the ayah which I quoted in the beginning, uh, Ayyad al-Ash'ari says, that when this verse was revealed to the Nabi Sallallahu what is the verse? The verse is, Ya yuwalladhina amanu mayyartadda minkub an dinihi fasawfa yati allahu biqawbin yuhibbuhum wa yuhibbuna. Allah subhanahu revealed this verse, O you people who believe, those of, you who t- those of you who turn away from Islam, those of you who turn away from the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, fasawfa yati allahu Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bring and replace you with another nation. A qawm who will love Allah. A people who will love Allah. And a people whom Allah will love. Subhanallah. Allah will bring a people if Muslims do not want to do the job of Islam and to follow the Quran and Sunnah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah will send people to replace them with people who will love Allah in whom Allah will love. Adillatan ala al-mu'mineen, people who will love the believers, will lower their wing of mercy to the believers. A'izzatan ala al-kafirin, and who will be strong against the disbelievers, the unbelievers, and the rejecters of tawheed. Yujahiduna fi sabilillah, they will fight in the path of Allah. And they will keep the flag of Islam high despite the blame and despite the insults which and the opposition which they may receive from others. In other words, opposition will not deter them from raising the flag of Islam and raising the flag of the Sunnah of Muhammad. Allah says that grace and that favor. Is a favor that Allah bestows on them who Allah has chosen. Allah bestows His love on a people who He chooses. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes out the fear from the hearts of those whom He chooses to spread His deen. Wallahu wasi'un alim. Verily, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala 
His mercy is very wide. His kingdom is wide. His dominion stretches over the heavens and the earth. Alim, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is all-knowing. When this verse was revealed, Surah Ma'idah, verse 54, Ayyad al-Ash'ari says, the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam pointed to a man in the audience by the name of Abu Musa al-Ash'ari. Abu Musa al-Ash'ari, his origins was from Yemen. He was a Yemeni. And the Nabi sallallahu said, they are his people. Abi pointed him and said, when this ayah was revealed, they are his people, meaning what? Meaning they are the people of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They are the people whom Allah will love and Allah will love them. And they are the people who will spread this deen without fear, favor, blame. Or they will fearlessly do it for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we can see then that within the Quran and the Sunnah is pivoted the importance of the people of Yemen, the greatness of the people of Yemen. And we know that particularly the people of Hadramaut had taken Islam from that part of the world uh, to Pakistan, to India, to Bangladesh, uh, to Southeast Asia, to Indonesia. All that, those lands were Islamized by the Yemenis. And of course, needless to say, the Yemenis also brought Islam across the Red Sea into Africa. And so the Yemenis had this great expanse of world that they took Islam to. So that is, in a nutshell, the position of Yemen within the religious parameters of Islam. I think it's important that we look at some of the history of the relationship between uh, Medina, or rather Saudi Arabia as we know today, Saudi Arabia and Yemen. And we know that this has never happened, we've never seen a war between Saudi Arabia and Yemen. Um, although there's been a long tradition of cordial relations between Yemen and Saudi Arabia, starting in 1934. In 1934, there was a conference held in Taif, which is a city, of course, near Makkah, as you all know. And at that conference, the borders between Yemen and Saudi Arabia was finally settled. Finally, it was settled that this was going to be the border between Yemen and Saudi Arabia. And Yemen at the time, we hear today about the Houthis, and I will come back to that. And we also hear in the news and the news bulletins that a lot is made of the Houthis who are Shia and who ostensibly is being fought by Saudi Arabia because they are Shia and because the Saudis are Sunni and they don't want the Shias to get a foothold in Yemen. That is the official story that we read in the newspapers and that is the official lie that is being spread by the West and by America and by everybody else who is involved in this proxy war against a Muslim nation on behalf of the enemies of Islam, namely Israel, the USA, and of course now also Saudi Arabia. From 1962 to 1970, 
Remember I said the conference was held in 1934, the borders were set, cordial relations was there between, between Yemen and uh, Saudi Arabia, and what happened between 1962 and 1970? In North Yemen, in the province called Saada, north, more northwest Yemen, called, places called Saada, there was a Zaidi kingdom. I'll explain what Zaidi, what Zaidi means. That had a Zaidi imam for a thousand years. So for a thousand years, the Zaidis had lived and thrived in northwestern Yemen. And who are the Zaidis? As you can hear, the name Zaidi comes from the word Zaid. And Zaid is Zaid ibn Ali. Not the son of Sayyidina Ali. This was Zaid ibn Ali, who was the great-great-great-grandson of Sayyidina Hussein, the grandson of the Nabi The Zaidis had adopted Zaid ibn Ali, the great-great-grandson of Hussein, as their imam. Because the Zaydis uh, is known as the Shia sect. But they're very different from the Shias that we know in Cape Town, which is the 12, 12 Imam Shiism, or the Shias that Khomeini belongs to, or the Shias that we, today we find in, in Iran. It's a totally different kettle of fish. This Shia group called the Zaydis, uh, first of all, they are very close to the Hanafi mother. They follow the Hanafi madhab almost, almost 100%. Do they follow the Hanafi madhab? Also, it is reported, and the reason they are Zaydis and are called Zaydis is because Zaid ibn Ali, when he died, it is reported when he died, his people asked him the question that vexed and vexes all Shias and Sunnis what do you say about Omar and Abu Bakr? They asked. Zaid, Imam Zaid, Ibn Ali, what uh, is your opinion concerning Omar and Abu Bakr? Now we know our main gripe with the Shias in Iran is the fact that they insult Sayyidina Omar and Sayyidina Abu Bakr. That we cannot have any kind of a rapprochement with them, or we can't have a middle ground unless they remove themselves from that position. But when Zaid ibn Ali was asked about Omar and Abu Bakr, what did he say? He said, my family has never said anything bad about Abu Bakr nor Omar. And history tells us that when they were in charge of the affairs of the Muslims, they dealt with the Muslims in total honesty and with total, with the with no oppression, in total justice. And finally he said, when they ran the Muslim government, they ran it in accordance with the Quran and Sunnah of Muhammad So it is known, generally this is not good, this is not news, this is not new, it is known amongst all scholars, be they Shia or Sunni, that the Zaydi Shia is the closest there is to the Ahli Sunnah wal Jama'ah. 
First of all, because they do not insult the Sahaba. Secondly, they do not insult Abu Bakr and Umar. Thirdly, they are, their jurisprudence, the usul, is very close to the usul of the Sunnis. And fourthly, they uh, do not do or believe in the things that the 12 Shia Imams believe in. For example, one of the things is that they believe that the leader must be elected. Not because he is the son of somebody or is a family member of the Prophet ﷺ. He is elected because two things he does. He's a good Muslim and he fights personally jihad on behalf of Muslims and Islam. He doesn't send his inspectors and send his army out and says, you go and fight al Satyad. I will make dua for you, no. He leads his army. And on that basis, the Zaydis have been spread all over the Muslim world. And some of the great scholars in Islam are also from the Zaydi stock. Uh, of course, they share with Shiism the fact that they have imams. That they also believe that the leadership of Muslims must be in the hands of the family of the Prophet wasallam. That's their belief. They were very, in the, in the, in the, in the 19th, 8th, 16th century, 17th century, the whole of Morocco were, were, near, were under Zaydi rule. The Idrisis who conquered Morocco were of the Zaydi Shias. Similarly, there was, a, there was a province in southern Spain, was also Zaydi Shias. And today, these Zaydis are to be found there in Saada, in the northwest part of Iran. What happened between 1962 and 1970 with the Zaydis in the northwest of Iran? The northwest of Iran, of sorry, of Yemen, some people are awake, despite the fact it's a holiday today, and you probably had a late night last night, but some people, alhamdulillah, are still awake. The northwest of Yemen, there was a Zaydi kingdom, ruled by an imam, and this kingdom had been there for a thousand years. After a thousand years, the rest of Yemen, of course, had progressed. They had, they had formed the republic, the rest of Yemen. But this, the Zaydis were independent, ruled by the imam. And the imam was removed from his office through a coup d'etat by the republican military of Yemen at the time. And they called for help from Saudi Arabia, and Saudi Arabia sent an army to reinstate the imam. And as politics is and were in 1962, the Israelis assisted the Saudis to reinstate the Zaydi imam in northwestern Yemen. That's politics. Today, you are DA and tomorrow you are ANC. That's what politics is about. It comes to politics. What happened in this, when the Saudis went there to assist uh, the, the Zaydis, who today is called the Houthis, and we'll, and we'll see why they're called Houthis, the Zaydis to regain uh, the hegemony over that part of the world and also to, re, to have the Imam reinstated. 
The Zaydis must have given them quite a run for their money because they had to ask Egypt and Egypt sent 70,000 Egyptian shoulders to that part of the world to assist the Zaydis, who today call the Houthis. Today the Saudis are bombing the Houthis. In 1962 to 1970 they were helping the Houthis fight the Republicans, the rest of Yemen. And so the Nasser sent 70,000, subhanAllah, I never knew so many until I did my research. And from 1962 they fought till 1970. Unfortunately, they lost. The Saudis could not reinstate the imam. Republicans won. And one of the reasons was that in 1967, what happened between the Egyptians and the Israelis, there was a war. And the Israelis and the Egyptians lost the war. And because they lost the war, they had to recall all their soldiers from Yemen. And so the Yemenis lost the war, and the Saudis also had to retreat, obviously. So that is the relationship that that was then. I mean, Saudis came to the aid, not of the Yemenis, but of the Houthis, of the Shias, of the Zaydis. Uh, that was in Yemen in order to reinstate the Imam. But that was the end of the Imamat of the Zaydis in Yemen in 1970, rather 1962. Which means a very close relationship. And as I said to you, the Zaydis are the closest to the Sunnis. We regard them as Muslim, in other words. Of course, the world only talks about them. They never mention the word Zaydi. They only mention the word Shia and Houthi. In fact, they don't sometimes mention Shia, they mention Houthi. All these things are there to confuse us. All these things are there for the Americans and the British. And of course, the Moroccans are part of this. The Jordanians are all part of the, the uh, alliance the Grand Alliance, I can't believe, you know, that there be such a Grand Alliance against the poorest country in the world. Yemen is the poorest country in the world. On the level of GDP, gross domestic product, they're the poorest country in the world. And we have the Americans, the Saudis, the Sudanese, the Moroccans, the Jordanians, who else? The Gulf countries, GCE countries, all in an alliance against this very tiny yam. And the whole hype is what? Oh, the Iranians. What is the hype? The Iranians is the hype. That Iran is uh, spreading its influence in Yemen, and we can't afford to have that, and so forth and so on. But what is the truth? Inshallah, we'll see what, what is really the case in Yemen at the moment. Now, as I pointed out, the Shia of Yemen is diametrically opposed and totally different than the Shia of Iran. As I said, the Shia of Yemen is closer to the, to the Sunni world than to the Shia world. They have tremendous differences from a fiqh point of view, from an aqidah point of view, from an imamat point of view, and from so many other point of views, they are much, much closer to the, to the Sunni Muslims. So what is Saudi Arabia's problem? Why did the Saudis go there and bomb the poorest country in the world? One would assume that with all the wealth that they have and all the armaments that they receive from USA every year, billions and billions of tanks and airplanes and so forth, they won't need anybody to help them. 
But Chen, they even asked poor Pakistan to assist them. And Pakistan, alhamdulillah, took a stand. For the first time, I was quite surprised that Pakistan actually said no. That Pakistan said no, this must be a negotiated settlement. Seeing that Pakistan is one of the biggest at the door of the Saudis all the time. But later on, I came to understand and it became clear that Pakistan had forged new relationships with China. And so they don't have to go hat in hand anymore to the Saudis for help, for food and for assistance and for money. The Chinese have come, and of course, since I studied there a long time ago, China has always been the greatest supporter of Pakistan, particularly against the aggression of India. And one of the reasons that India has kept back its forces against Pakistan is because of the fact that China always threatens India, if you step on Pakistan, we will step on you. So China balances uh, the, uh, the, 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 the hegemony and the aggression that India has against Pakistan. So that's a good sign that Pakistan is now spreading uh, its, um, its wings amongst other nations as well, not only depending on the United States of America. I think they've learned their lesson very, very hard. They've had a very, very hard lesson. That they supported the U.S., they fought the war of the U.S. against uh, the Taliban, and uh, they have suffered the consequences. Grave consequences they have suffered. The people have suffered, the region has suffered, the country has suffered. So what we read in the press is that the Gulf states, Saudi Arabia, and the other so-called Sunni states, they don't want the Shiite Persians playing a prominent role in the region. Number one. Number two, and becoming friendly with the U.S. Because these are the two things that's worrying the Saudis. The Americans are signing a pact or an agreement with Iran concerning its nuclear capability. Now, of course, that is also just a big whitewash. We know and everybody knows, the whole world knows, that Iran has never had an atomic weapon, will never have an atomic weapon, has never had the intention of having an atomic weapon. But the hype, of course, is they want to have an atomic weapon. And who stirs up this hype is, Iran, is Israel. And why is Israel doing this? Why is Israel continuously saying, despite this agreement, Israel is still saying, no, no, they're going to have an atomic weapon. No, no, they're going to have an atomic weapon. It's to take the heat of Israel in its oppression of the Palestinians. So the more the Israelis can say that, look at, don't look at us, look at Iran. Iran is the big danger. Iran's going to have an atomic weapon. Iran is going to threaten the world. Iran is particularly going to threaten the Sunni world, and particularly the lead of the Sunni world, which is supposed to be Saudi Arabia. And we know that Iran doesn't have the capacity, nor the technical ability, to bring weapons-grade plutonium up to the level of having, in fact, an atomic bomb. And the hypocrisy of all that is that as I'm standing and looking at you and talking to you, America has, as I'm talking to you, 450 ICBMs, intercontinental ballistic missiles, aimed at Russia that can be triggered with a trigger action. In other words, if the President of the United States presses one button, 450 intercontinental ballistic missiles 
will fly off from America over the Atlantic Ocean and hit Russia. So they have the right to have all those weapons. And we know that Israel has so many intercontinental ballistic missiles aimed at all the, uh, uh, all the so-called Sunni capitals. But that's not spoken about. So Israel then uses this front uh, to, 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 target, to target Iran. But now the question, of course, is why is America bending backwards to sign a treaty on an agreement with Iran? If she knows that Iran hasn't got an atomic weapon, why are they so interested in Iran? For what purpose? You've read in the press about the war that's going on between Ukraine and Russia. And all this I'm giving to you is my own, my own opinion. So you can go home and say, Sheikh, you have a nonsense It's not like that. You have the right to that. You have the right to disagree with me. When I don't quote the hadith and Quran, these are all my own things, the way I read it and the way I interpret it. So I'm giving it to you as I see it. may not be necessarily the way you see it. But unfortunately, I have the platform you don't. That's how the world works, you know. So why, why, why is... Because Ukraine is now at war with who? With Russia. And Russia is who? Russia is the great enemy of the United States of America. But what has happened is there's been a realignment in the world, especially in Europe, between nations. Most of the gas that goes to Europe comes from Russia. And in the last 10, 15 years, there's been a rapprochement between Russia and the European countries. And America was afraid that with the gas of Russia and all the technology of Europe, if they come together, if the Russians and the Europeans should ever decide to come together in whatever way, it will be the greatest threat to the greatness of America. It will outshine the American economy. Those, Europe and Russia would have a bigger economy than, Russia, than America. And America would not allow any nation to trump America on the world stage. And so what America is doing now is trying to start a war with Russia, in fact, through Ukraine. And to tell the Europeans not to buy gas from Russia anymore. And where will they get the gas from? From Iran. Russia wants the Europeans to buy Iranian gas. And why do they want them to buy Iranian gas? Because they want to break the back of the Russian economy. They started already. They started by forcing the Saudis to produce so much oil so that the oil price fell by more than half. And the Saudis fell for it. And today, Lots of, lots of economies are suffering because of it. Even our economy is suffering because of the, the low oil price. Cecil, Cecil's, uh, Cecil's uh, uh, mashallah. I'm just, I'm just wanting to know who's got Cecil shares in my audience. So Cecil's share prices you know, dropped from 650 rand to what? It's now, alhamdulillah, it's gone up again, but be that as it may. So... They want, in fact, Iranian gas to flow to Europe. And they're spoiling for a war with Russia because Russia is the only empire that still threatens the United States of America, both in terms of its nuclear arsenal, in terms of its economy, and so forth and so on. So, 
All these negotiations that's going on on non-existent Iranian nuclear weapons program is upsetting the Israelis and the Saudis. They don't want the Americans to have anything to do with the Iranians. Why? Because the Saudis want America for themselves and America wants Saudi Arabia for themselves. We've just seen it now. There's been a change in leadership, appointment of a new uh, crown prince. And uh, the deputy crown prince, of course, is who? Is the American, the, the, the Saudi ambassador to America. Guy who slept in the White House is now what? He's now the, no, he's the first deputy. He's the second deputy. Come on, who is he? He's not the first deputy, he's not the second deputy, who is he? he his name is? I don't know, but he's not. He's the foreign minister. The new foreign minister of Sudan, of, of Saudi Arabia is who? He's the man who just wiped his eyes out from sleeping in the White House. So can you imagine what his stance is going to be towards America? He's going to love America and embrace America. Everything America says. And Salman's son, Muhammad, the new king of Saudi Arabia, he's got a son, Salman. Salman is 30 years old. Just about 30 years old. I mean, Muhammad is about 30 years old. He's the second deputy. He is the new what minister of Saudi Arabia. Defense, Minister of Defense. He started this war with Yemen. He's the one, 30-year-old boy, started this war with Yemen. Because he wants to become the king later on, and he wants to cut his teeth on Yemen. He wants to show the Saudis that he can have a war with anybody, and he can win the war. Of course you can win the war against Yemen. Even I can go in there, and we can go in there and win the war in Yemen. He doesn't need anybody great to win the war in Yemen. So all these shenanigans are going ahead while... Muslims are dying in Syria, Muslims are dying in Palestine, Muslims are dying in Gaza. I mean, as that video clip said, it went around, that this guy says he never knew that Saudi had an air force that could actually bomb other countries. Because when Gaza was bombed by the Israelis, not only did Saudi Arabia not send a single airplane there to bomb the Israelis, not even a single bullet went from Saudi, Saudi Arabia to help, the, to help the Palestinians. So that is the kind of, kind of Arabia that we're dealing with at the moment. This offensive against Yemen, which I said is the poorest country in the world, was, is called Operation Decisive Storm. You know, it sounds so... What's the word? So American... But so there's another word my kids always use. I mean, it's really, you know, it's, it's really laughable. Operation Decisive Storm. It's like Operation Desert Storm, you know. Now the Saudis come with Operation Desert. They don't even translate it into Arabic. They just call it by the English name. Operation Decisive Storm. And Operation Decisive Storm says that, the, oh, now we come to the Houthis, because the, the, the wars against the Houthis. And who are the Houthis? The Houthis are the, the Zaidi Shias who inhabit the northwestern part of Yemen and who's ruled that part of Yemen for a thousand years up to 1962. So what is the position with the Houthis? And what is the position with Iran and the Houthis? Because it's what Shia is, are, they now, are the Shias of Iran supporting the Shias, because, the Houthis because they're also Shia? Or what is the relationship? 
They say, yeah, the Houthis are getting arms from, from Iran. Ships are coming in. The Americans send its, its, its uh, aircraft carrier Roosevelt to stop so-called Iranian ships from delivering arms to the Houthis so the Houthis can't fight whoever they are fighting. Not telling the world that since 19, since 2006, the Americans had given Ali, what is his other name? It's Saleh, no. the previous president of, uh, of Yemen was in the, was in the pockets of the, of the Americans, of course. They gave him more than $500 million worth of arms. To do what worth? To fight Al-Qaeda. Remember? Remember Al-Qaeda? Remember? Al-Qaeda. But what did he do with the arms? He, he stored the arms. He didn't fight Al-Qaeda. He stored the arms to fight all the people who wanted to fight him inside, uh, inside Yemen. Otherwise, he wanted to rule. He's ruling already for 33 years. When he was the, so he had kept this $500 million worth of arms, tanks, airplanes, whatever you name, you name it, all American arms. So the Houthis in 2012, when they took over, they just took the $500 million worth of arms for themselves. They didn't need Iran to give them arms. They had arms right there. Arms were right there. Tanks were there, airplanes were there, everything was there for them to use. And why did the Houthis, why are they fighting? And who are they fighting inside Yemen? In 2012, the Americans and the United Nations and the Saudis and the GCE states all had a conference in Sana'a, in Yemen, and they all agreed to appoint Hadi, who was the deputy president at the time, to become the president for one year. Americans, the United Nations, the Saudis, the GCE states all agreed Hadi will become president for one year. Saleh will step down. What will happen after one year? After one year, there will be new elections to elect a Republican government. Now, as an aside, we know that the whole of the Middle East consists of royal households who own their countries. And the only Republican Arab state is Yemen. And what is a Republican state? A Republican state is a state where the president is elected by the people. The people are not the subjects of the president. The president is the subject of the people. That's in the republic. We also have half and half a republic here. We call it the Republic of South Africa, but not one of us has appointed our president. He's appointed by some party called the ANC. In a true republic, the people vote directly for the president. And the people have the right to remove him as well. Not the party. So Yemen had this kind of democracy, where they directly elected their rep Republican president. And for Saudi Arabia, this was democracy too close to home. They couldn't, they couldn't take this. Not, this was just not on. That's number one. Number two, so when he's at the end of 2013, I may have my dates wrong, after Hadi was in power for a year, he refused to step down. United Nations, America, everybody said he must only rule for one year. When he had to step down after a year, he refused to step down. So the Houthis, who form one quarter of the population of Yemen, said, but this is not fair. 
This is not fair. You guys are taking all the oil money. We, the people are starving. All the money is going for arms. You're supposed to have an election. You're not having an election. So they marched to Sana'a, took over the parliament, locked up Hadi, and eventually escaped and ran to South Yemen. Now he's sitting in Riyadh in Saudi Arabia, one of the palaces there, waiting for... for and he asked this president of Yemen, asked the Saudis to bomb his country. So the Houthis were within their rights to start an uprising. Because in the face of oppression, there's only one thing to do at the end when negotiations don't work. You rebel. And that is what the Houthis are doing. They're rebelling. They're saying, but we have resources in this country. And of course, we know that Yaman was already living in the 4th century. Now they're living in BC. They already had no water, no electricity, no food. Subhanallah. People were dying there of salvation. La hawla wa la quwata illa billah. And now the Saudis come and they bomb these poor people. And they know they, and the reason they're bombing it because if they should go send their shoulders in, they lose. They don't have the, not the capacity, they don't have the gumption to face another army. They're like the Americans, they learned well from their masters. So the reason that Saudi Arabia is bombing is they want to start a Saudiya Yamaniya. A Yaman that reflects Saudi values. Where governments are imposed upon the people. Rulers are imposed upon the people. And the people should listen. So this is not about the Houthis, the Shia and Sunni in Yaman. There was never fight between Sunni and Shia in Yaman. Never. Not in the history of Yaman was there ever conflict between Shia and Sunni. Because of the fact that the Sunnis and the Shias in Yaman are so close... Because they are not the Shias of, of, of Iran. They are the Shia. They are closer to the Sunnis in that they do not curse the Sahaba and they accept Abu Bakr and Omar and Uthman and Ali and so forth and so on. So the Americans are basically there because they are using this in order to tell the Muslim world that they, they are the champions of the Sunnis. Now I must tell you that though I, I disagree entirely with the the religious ideology of Iran, but with their politics, I have no doubt, I have no, uh, what's the word? I have no qualms in saying that I support the Iranians in their political fight in the world. And though I may support the Tawheed of the Saudis, I totally condemn the alliances and political alliances that they have. And the things that they're trying to do in the Gulf. So, that in a nutshell is where we're standing at the moment. What the future holds, Wallahu alam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala best knows. But I can tell you this, that the Houthis are seasoned fighters. They have about 100,000 men under arms. Yemen is, although they're the poorest country in the world, they're the third, the country with the third biggest percentage of people who bear arms. In other words, nearly every person in Yemen is armed. They're a fighting nation. They're like the Afghanis. They walk around. I, I, when I was in, uh, studying in Pakistan, I went to, uh, to Peshawar. I won't go there now. But I saw people making Kalashnikov rifles on the pavement. I mean, there are small factories that produce Kalashnikov rifles on the pavement. And I thought, wow, these people are, these people are crazy, you know. They, 
They got mad. But it's not like that. That's their culture. They walk around with arms. They, they, that is how they defend themselves. Why do they have to defend themselves? Because no police force. There's no police force where they are. Every man for himself and God for everybody. So everybody has a Kalashnikov. And similarly in Yemen, because of the strife and the struggle, which there are always wars between the different tribes, a very tribal society. So they always bear arms. And uh, which of course the Saudis uh, will not be able to, to, uh, to oppose. And so we have this disorder, to use a nice word, in the Middle East at the moment. And we have this giant of Saudi Arabia in terms of money and arms and so forth and so on, and the GCE countries as well, putting their big boot on this ant of Yemen, subhanAllah. And what they're going to do now is, I fear, is we're going to have another wave or tsunami of boat people that's also going to try and cross the Mediterranean to Europe for a better life. And I'm afraid more hundreds of thousands of refugees are going to die, drown in the Mediterranean because of this. All this is because of the conflict that is being caused by people like Saudi Arabia. If you look at the Syrian conflict they're involved there, if you look at ISIS they're involved in, I'm not going to say what I think, but it's quite common knowledge that Saudis have been supporting ISIS for their own reasons. And of course, as we know, as a community, and what we see and what we know as factual, is that ISIS has been carrying out a lot of irregular murder and killings of innocent people, destroying the religious places of other communities, which is totally contrary to that of Islam. And the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and they're fulfilling the prophecy of the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, was asked by the Sahaba, what will be one of the signs of Qiyamah? And he said, Al-Harj. What is Harj? Killing. Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, one of the signs of Qiyamah will, will be killing. People will just kill each other. Just like that. And Muslims also will be killing Muslims. And they're carrying this out. And I'm not going to go into the... Um, all the hadith which the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam told us about what will happen in the, in the, at, at the end. But all this is playing out. And really, if you look at the prophecies which the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam had given us, it's so stark in, its, in, it, in the fact that it's actually happening right in front of our eyes. And the world is changing at such a rapid rate right in front of our eyes. The prophecy the Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, and the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam spoke about, there's a hadith, some people quote, where the Nabi Sallallahu didn't want to make dua for the people of Najd. And uh, one of the students who come to the class asked me about this particular hadith, where the Nabi Sallallahu made dua for Yemen, as I said, and made dua for, uh, for, for Sham, and was asked, well, why didn't you make dua for Najd? And we now today, there's a place called Najd in Saudi Arabia. Most of Saudi Arabia... The western part and the northern part is called Najd. But that is not what the Prophet Sassam referred to. It's quite clear in Bukhari. Bukhari gives a, uh, a commentary on this hadith. And he says, Najd means the high ground. And when the Nabi Sassam pointed to it, when he was in Medina, he pointed east, which pointed towards Iraq, to that part of the world. 
So Najd is the high ground. And a lot of other hadith of the Nabi which points to the fact that when the Prophet spoke about Najd, he spoke about Iraq. That oppression and bloodshed will start in that part of the world. That the turmoil we have in the world will start in that part of the world. And one of the reasons given by the scholars is because all the bid'ah, all the changes in the sunnah of the Nabi Wasallam had also arisen from that world. And particularly the great bid'ah of the Shia, which of course started in Iran. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to, to help the people of Yemen. In fact, we should help the people of Yemen, make a lot of dua for them. And we have a chance to, to give anything towards the, the uh, call uh, for, for the helping the people of Yemen. I hear that uh, gift of the givers is in Nepal. MashaAllah, we as a Muslim community are very, very, we're very proud of that. That a Muslim organization is helping people all over the world. I would like also to hear of the gift of the givers being in Yemen. Because I think those people are closer to our heart. The Nepalese need our help. Despite the fact that they're not Muslim, that's not the point. But the point is that Yemen seriously needs the help of the Muslims. They're really suffering. I know knew a lot of Yemenis that studied with me, both in Iran, both in, uh, in Malaysia and Pakistan, and also when I studied in Egypt. A lot of Yemenis, mashallah, they were the best students that I ever studied with, very committed to the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And I can imagine what they must be going through and suffering. They were already suffering before the war, and now they're even suffering more. So if there should be, and I don't know whether collections are being done for Yemen, uh, we should give more to Yemen, I think, than we give to the rest of the world, especially to Palestine. Because Palestine is heavily supported by the GCE countries. Whenever I go to, uh, to Qatar, the first thing I notice when I go to the shops, they, every shop has a box for Palestine. And the GCE countries give billions and billions of dollars, of course, to Palestine, which is a good thing. But of course, the GCE is now the enemy of Yemen. So you're not going to give any money towards Yemen. And these people depend on that kind of charity. So inshallah, when we asked, when it's a call, uh, maybe we inshallah will make a collection. I'm sure there will be some kind of uh, collective uh, collection for Yemen uh, amongst the community. Hopefully it will be soon, inshallah. Uh, so that we can get gift of the givers also to give food to Yemen, inshallah. Wallahu ta'ala, wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh.